grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. recorded in 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse 14. Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, but the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the wilderness of Damascus. When you get there, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You are also you will also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abol Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But I have preserved in Israel seven thousand whose knees have not bent to Baal, and whose lips have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Elisha was doing the plowing with 12 teams of oxen in front of him, and he himself was driving the 12 team. Elijah crossed over to him and threw his cloak over him. Then Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah. He said, let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, and then I will follow you. Then Elijah said, go back, for what, I, what, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from following him. Then he took the team of oxen and slaughtered them. Using the equipment from the oxen as fuel, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And he got up, followed Elijah, and served him. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5. And we start at verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not allow anyone to put the yoke of slavery on you again. After all... Brothers, you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as a starting point for your sinful flesh. Rather, serve one another through love. In fact, the whole law is summed up in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What I am saying is this. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out what the sinful flesh desires. For the sinful flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful flesh. In fact, these two continually oppose one another, so that you do not continue to do things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the control of the law. Now the works of the sinful flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, complete lack of restraint, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, discord, jealousy, outbursts, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, 
dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, orgies, and things similar to these. I warn you, just as I also warned you before, that those who continue to do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in step with it. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, beginning at the 51st verse. When the days were approaching for him to be taken up, Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him. They went and entered a Samaritan village to make preparations for him. But the people did not welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. You don't know what kind of spirit is influencing you. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's souls, but to save them. Then they went to another village. And as they went on the way, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus told him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another man also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to those at home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 14 through 21. I'd like to read these words once again. Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, but the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the wilderness of Damascus. When you get there, you are to anoint Haziel as king over Aram, and you, are also, uh, you will also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abol Mahola, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But I have preserved in Israel 7,000 whose knees have not bent to Baal and whose lips have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Elisha was doing the plowing with 12 teams of oxen in front of him. And he himself was driving the twelfth team. Elijah crossed over to him and threw the cloak over him. Then Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah. 
He said, let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, and then I will follow you. Then Elijah said, go back, for what have I done to you? So Elijah, Elisha turned back from following him, then took the team of oxen and slaughtered them. Using the equipment from the oxen as fuel, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he got up and followed Elijah and served him. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, God helps those who help themselves. Over the years, I don't know, I can't even begin to count how many times I've been told, well, pastor, you know that's from the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. It sounds so religious, and yet the words are not found in the Bible at all. Isn't the thinking God helps those who help themselves is very tempting because, hey, work hard, and then God will bless you. Work hard, and you can be anything you want in this life, and, and, and God will certainly shower you with blessings beyond blessings. All you need to do is simply work hard. Because once again, God helps those who help themselves. But what happens if you work hard and you find that the blessings you desire or even the things you expect that you deserve to be blessed with doesn't happen? And things don't work out the way you had planned and the way that you expected God to give and bless you with. Then do you get upset with God, maybe frustrated with him, maybe even come to the point of hating him. God, I'm doing my part. Now it's time for you to do your part. It sounds very reasonable because isn't it true? God helps those who help themselves. But does God owe us anything? Do, do we demand and expect that God owes me for who I am and, and what I do in my life? God owes me nothing. Everything I have comes purely by the grace and mercy of my God, the very God who made me and also the very God who gave his life to save me and to pay for the sins of the world. God helps those who help themselves. How tempting it is to think that. Elijah, by the way, was very frustrated with God, very frustrated with the work that God called him to do. Yes, this is the Elijah that is called the great reformer. This is the Elijah that will stand next to Jesus along with Moses when Jesus transfigured himself before Peter, James, and John in all his glory as the true Son of God, all taking place just a few months before making his way to Jerusalem where he will be on the cross for the sins of the world. He endured the punishment for sin. And through faith in him, we shall not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, it was this Elijah who would say these words. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, but the people of Israel, and he doesn't call them God's people, but the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant. They have tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, 
and they are seeking to take my life. He actually says these very words verbatim once before. These are his words, and he is sticking to them. And yet these words all come after a huge event that took place that involved Elijah. Just maybe a couple months ago, at the most, Elijah was on top of Mount Carmel and called for the prophets of Baal and Asherah to uh, have a contest with him. So the prophets of Baal and Asherah would total a number of 850. The prophet of God was one, Elijah, all by himself. He told them, you set up your altar, I'll set up a mine. You pick the choice animal for the sacrifice, I'll let you choose it. And then I will pick one and put mine meat on the altar. And then you pray to your God to consume that sacrifice. I'll pray to my God to consume mine. You get to go first. And they agreed. And so they picked the choices of animal. They cut it up. They put it on the altar. Whatever the routine and, and whatever the ceremony was, no doubt they were doing it. They prayed to their God and nothing happened. They would pray to their God again. Nothing happened. They would pray all day and nothing happened. Elijah even helped them out and say, well, maybe your God is busy. So just maybe if you yell louder, maybe he'll hear you. They even went to cutting themselves to get the attention of their God, who was clearly a fake and a fraud, because there is only one true God. And Elijah knew this. But he would demonstrate this before the people who were watching. And now it comes at the end of the day, Elijah's turn. He not only put the animal for the sacrifice on the altar. But he had it drenched with water. And he wasn't just sprinkling a little bit of water. He had gallons upon gallons upon gallons of water that would consume that altar and that meat. He prayed to God once and immediately it was consumed and all the water with it. The people would yell out, God is Lord, God is Lord. And he called for the people to grab their swords and to end the life of 850 false prophets under God's holy will. And the people did. The king of Israel was Ahab and his wife, who was a worshiper of Baal. In fact, many of these prophets that were killed probably ate daily at the king's table. So these were not only her spiritual leaders. These were probably a lot of dear friends. And when she heard about this, she swore that she was going to end Elijah's life. And Elijah took off running. He quit. He would not go back to work. He was done. He ran for over a month heading down and finally ended at Mount Horeb, where in a cave he stayed and refused to come out. God would call him out, but he would not come out. God would send wind to get him to come out, so it had to be a very violent and strong wind, but we're told that the Lord wasn't in the wind, even though the Lord clearly sent the wind, 
and Elijah wouldn't come out. The Lord sent an earthquake, and we're told that the, that the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. The very ground itself being shaken, and Elijah would not come out. He sent fire. And we're told that the Lord wasn't in the fire, even though clearly the Lord sent the fire, and Elijah would not come out. So what would be greater than wind and earthquake and fire? The Lord was in a very gentle, still whisper and spoke to Elijah. We're not told what he said to him, but we know this. It's the word of the Lord. What's greater than wind, earthquake, and fire? But the very word of God himself. Nothing compares to it. It is almighty. The word can do what no other thing in the entire world can do. It can move hearts and bring peace to a hurting and painful soul. And the first thing the Lord tells Elijah to do is go to the wilderness of Damascus, go back up north, this is simply, simply telling him, Elijah, go back to work. But Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenants. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I, am al I alone am left, and they are seeking to take my life. I've been doing the ministry. I've been doing the work, and I'm not being blessed. And that we're not seeing the success. We're not seeing the change of hearts. And the Lord tells him to go. And go back to work. But also informs him of this. Go back the way you came and go to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you get there, you are to anoint Hazael king over Aram. That's the kingdom to the north of Israel. You will also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from, from Abel Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha, will kill. Now, two things to keep in mind as we understand these beautiful words. The word anointed, in the narrow sense, always means the applying of oil. And the applying of oil, if you remember, is always for the offices of prophet, priest, and king. And when someone was anointed, it meant two things. It meant that God himself had chosen that person to serve in one of those offices. And it also meant that there would be the sending of the Holy Spirit to give that person the gifts needed to carry out their important work under God. Here, the word anointed is clearly used in a more broad sense that the Lord is designating someone because only Jehu is the only one who got anointed by oil. The other two did not. There's no mention of it. And the other thing we learn is these things did not happen immediately. They would happen over time. And in fact, Elijah didn't even anoint all these people. It was actually through Elijah, done by Elisha. He was the only one that was called by Elijah to replace him. 
under God. Haziel is going to be told by Elisha that he will be the next king, and Jehu actually gets anointed by oil, not by Elisha, but by a prophet that Elisha sends. Haziel, the king of Iram, is, is in that northern kingdom, north of Israel, and they will become a thorn in Israel's flesh. And what is amazing is how God uses this ungodly country for, and this ungodly king for a greater good as he continues to work on the hearts of Israel that have rejected him for a false god. Not only do we see ungodliness, but we see wickedness, especially towards their fellow mankind. And Jehu will actually become the next king following Ahab, and he actually wipes out Ahab and his entire family. In fact, Jezebel, under the command of Jehu, is thrown out of a second-story window to her death. And Elisha would be prophet under all this, replacing Elijah. One thing that becomes very clear with these words here is God, in a very beautiful and unique way, is letting Elijah know that even though everything doesn't look successful, everything's not going right, everything is dying and falling apart, God is still in control. And not only is God in control, God has a plan. Even though Elijah didn't see the plan, couldn't figure out the plan, didn't even realize the plan, God had a plan, and his plan would also involve justice. These people are getting away with nothing. They will answer to the Lord. The Lord, who is in control. My friends, we live in a sinful world. We know that we struggle with our own sinful nature. We've inherited a sinful nature. We know that we live in a world where people lie and cheat and steal and tempted to maybe do the same, tempted to maybe strike back and, and get even and hold grudges and hate, which are all fruits of a sinful nature. The truth of the matter is, my friends, no matter how the world looks to you, God is still in control. No matter how things look to you and you wonder if God's really out there, you wonder if God really cares. Even though we don't see God, we see God through his holy word. And one thing that we hear from his holy word is God is in control and especially when it comes to his word. The Lord said to Elijah, but I have preserved in Israel 7,000 whose knees have not bent to Baal and whose lips have not kissed him. Elijah just got saying more than once, I am the only one left. He's the only one who's a believer. And now they're trying to kill me too. And of course, with the death of Elijah, there will be no more believers in Israel. This prophet is to be the minister of his church, and he didn't even know what his statistical numbers were. He thought he was the only one. But the Lord tells him, 
I preserved 7,000. Notice what he didn't say. Elijah, through all your work and effort, you've been successful and you've produced 7,000. No, I have preserved 7,000. Elijah's been the seed planter and proclaiming that word. It is the Lord that is moving hearts. It is the Lord, the, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through that very word that has been working in hearts and calling people to faith in their God and Savior. It is God who has done this. And if you have read the book of Acts, you will hear over and over that when it came to the work of the apostles and the disciples, it was always the Lord who added to their number. I always tell people, I have never saved anyone. I can't even save myself. But the privilege and honor it is to share his holy name, knowing that the Holy Spirit, the great counselor, is working in people's hearts. And it might not be always the results I want to see, but to be able to plant that seed knowing God is going to bear that fruit and God's going to work in that heart. Keep in mind, his word never comes back to him empty, which means it will always produce two results. One is a person will come to faith and believe and cry out hallelujah, trusting in the Lord, or they will harden their heart even more. But God's word is powerful. And even if people reject that word, and many will, we continue to proclaim his holy word, knowing God is in control. In fact, he is so in control, he even has it set up when it comes to preserving the church. Elijah was to go and anoint Elisha. Turns out Elisha came from a very wealthy family. It turns out that he was out in the field working and plowing with a set, a pair of oxen. Oh, he was actually the 12th pair. That's 24 oxen. Elijah comes to Elisha and he doesn't put oil on him, but instead puts his cloak around him. Think of Elijah's cloak as a prophet's uniform. By doing this, he's designating, Elisha, you are the one, and you're wearing my cloak. This is God's holy will. Elisha asked if he could go home to say goodbye, and Elijah told him to go. And then he went and sacrificed the two ox he had. He took the equipment, the plow equipment, and he went and broke that down and set that on fire and cooked the meat and gave it to the people that were there as really a feast for celebration and probably a farewell meal because he left and followed Elijah as commanded by the Lord. As many of you know, it was just a little over a month ago that I received the phone call that I was called to be pastor in North Freedom, Wisconsin, because they're looking for a pastor there. They've been without one for several months, and this was the third time they've been calling for one. And when you come to deliberate on a call, it's interesting the comments that 
that people will make, and, and it's always sweet, and, and it's always very dear. But to be honest with you, no matter what the comments are, the question I wrestle with the most is, God, where do you want me to best serve in your kingdom? I really work hard to avoid the temptation and the questions that say, Lord, where do I think is the blessed place to go? Where can I best serve? Where can I do the most good? Or Lord, who really needs me the most? But instead, Lord, where do you want me to best serve in your kingdom? Be a humble servant to you, knowing that you are in control. I really believe that the call is divine. I don't believe that pastors are at their calls by accident. And I really, really believe that God works in our lives in ways we don't even begin to, to understand or always see. But he is working in our lives. So as you continue to join together as a congregation in proclaiming God's holy name, do so knowing the great privilege and honor it truly is to serve the Lord who is in control. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.